Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. ever been in a, a strange place? And I mean strange because you're not quite where you're going yet, but you're definitely not where you were. You know, like if you've ever gotten medical treatment that took a prolonged period of time, you know, you start to feel better about halfway through. You're not where you were. You're not sick anymore, but you're not fully recovered. You're not fully healed. You're not where you're going. There's that theological term for this state. It's called liminal space. And what liminal space is, is it's this transition area between two states of of being. When, When you've left where you were, but you're not quite yet where you're going. For me growing up, uh, liminal space was quite literally the state of New Jersey. So if you're from New Jersey, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, no offense to y'all, but, but as a kid who grew up in Philadelphia, I had to spend a lot of time in my life driving through the state of New Jersey. And you see, the reason for that was because both my dad and my mom's families lived up north. My, my dad's family was from upstate New York, a, a town called Saratoga Springs, where they have horse racing all summer long, and it's phenomenal. And my mom's family was from Connecticut, up in New England, very far north, actually, close to Rhode Island and Massachusetts. And, and so we traveled between those two places up north. We went a lot, probably like every month we were on the road. And as a kid, I was driving through New Jersey. It got to New Jersey, you're already like 35, 40 minutes from the house, so you can't turn back. But still four, four and a half hours away from where you're going. Because if you drive from Philadelphia to New York or Connecticut, you have to drive the entire length of the state of New Jersey. And while it's not a very big state, it is a long state when you are a kid. And here's the other thing. If you've ever driven in the state of New Jersey then you know that it's like the Wild West of automobile situations. It's like, it's like the Miami of the North, except it smells bad, right? And so, that's just a part of life I've learned. Part of being human is just existing in these spaces that are in between in liminal space. And and actually, it's one of the most pervasive themes in the story of the Bible. Who would have known? You know, we're in uh, the second week here of a series called How to Start a Fire, where we're looking at the book of Acts 
and how the book of Acts tells us the elements required for the church to spread like a wildfire throughout the known world. And so, so last week, we started talking about a couple of things that have to happen before you even think about starting a fire. One, the promise that this is a thing that is possible, right? And this week, we're going to talk about another thing that happens before you even strike a match. There needs to be this space between. You see, a fire needs space. Talk to any Boy Scout or avid camper, and you'll learn the importance of leaving room for a little bit of air, for some oxygen, some fire fuel, to move in and through the materials that you are hoping to start a fire with. Y'all know about the TP method, right? There's some science behind that as to why it works. Science that kind of goes against our thinking when we start, first start out as junior fire starters because it's counterintuitive. You would think the more stuff you put in there, the bigger the fire will get. And while that is eventually true, you can't start with too much or else you'll be smothered. And so it's in this space that you leave between the wood and the kindling and whatever else you've stuck in there in order to start the fire that creates the environment possible for a fire to not only catch, but to thrive. And so one of the most famous stories of liminal space, or this space between, in our Bible is found right where we left off last week. So as you recall, Jesus, after his resurrection, gathered his disciples, and he, he gave them a stunning promise that this thing called the Holy Spirit would soon be coming to them. And then, what we find is, when they're still trying to figure out what that whole revelation means, almost immediately, something unexpected happens. So, you'll recall this last verse that we read last week. This is Acts 1.8, and Jesus says to them, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so this is really uh, just the, the setup. Jesus had previously told them, hey, wait in Jerusalem because this new thing is going to happen to you. The Holy Spirit, the Father is going to send this Holy Spirit to you. And when it does, you are going to embark upon your next adventure, your peace of my missional puzzle. You are going to take up a new occupation, no longer just followers of some rogue rabbi traveling around the Middle East, but now you're going to be leaders in your own right. You are going to be my witnesses across the known world. And so as they're, they're chewing on that, trying to figure out what that all means, this happens. It says, when he had said this, they were watching, and they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing up towards heaven. Suddenly, two men in white robes stood by them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, he will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. 
And so this had to be unexpected, right? You, you never just stand in there talking to your friend and expecting them to just rise on a cloud into heaven, no matter how wonderful of a person they are, right? This had only happened two other times in the Bible. A man named Enoch and a man named Elijah. So they're standing there, and they're, Jesus has given them this wonderful occupation. Go out, serve the world, be my witnesses. And then he doesn't tell them what they're supposed to do next. He just, he just disappears. And they're, they're standing there probably thinking to themselves, Was th is this real? If they're anything like me, they started to question their entire existence for the past 40 days when this resurrected man was walking with them. Do I need psychiatric help? Have I been hallucinating? And then all of a sudden, there's two angelic spiritual beings wearing white robes standing there, and they're like, hey, listen, guys, gals, don't just stand there staring. Why don't you go and do as you are told? And so what's being initiated here is a larger, more meta idea of liminal space. When Jesus ascends into heaven, this, this area of living, this space of living that we all live in is being inaugurated. The space between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. What the, the men in white robes remind us of is that even though Jesus has gone and that Jesus is coming back the same way that he left, that we still have stuff to do while we wait. We're not called to just sit here and stare towards heaven waiting. Go on and do what we're told to do. Continue the mission of Jesus in this world. Build his church. But you know, for the disciples, this moment initiates a, a shorter, a, a more immediate period of liminal space. They're in this space between their life with Jesus and the life that they are about to undertake as the apostles of Jesus Christ, the curators of the church. Everything that they had ever known just ascended into heaven, and the unknown looms on in the not-so-distant future. All that they have is the promise that it's going to happen, and that the Holy Spirit, this mysterious thing, is coming. And now they just have to process and prepare for it. You may recall that the disciples wanted Jesus to use his power to take back the kingdom of Israel, to, to reestablish it. They wanted Jesus to become the king here on earth. And what Jesus did was rather Jesus became the king of the entire world. He promised his disciples that they would be his witnesses, that they would be his carriers of the blessing, that they would be his stewards on earth, and then he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father, that thing from the creed that we say. Jesus left and told these disciples that you are going to be the hands that build and restore the kingdom. 
aided by the power that is coming to you. And you remember the disciples wanted to be there already. Jesus, in turn, wanted them to wait, to sit together, to sit with the memory of him, and to buckle up and enjoy the ride that was about to happen. See, Jesus could have said, yep, you know what, you're right. Let's take back this kingdom. Let's go take the palace. Tonight we will be royalty by the time the sun comes up. But rather, he established a space. A space between the world that they were leaving behind and the kingdom that was to come. In fact, he created a space between leaving them and truly equipping them to go and do that which they were called to do. Space for them to just be. And Luke tells us, what the scene looked like for the disciples over the next few days and just the very next verses. So, so then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. See, when they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew... James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. You know, I just think it's, it's curious that Luke would go into such detail about who was there. You know? It's like Luke wanted us to know that one of the true gifts that Jesus gave to the disciples was one another. A part of living in this new age, part of living in this space between was just giving them the space to be a family. Space for them to sit together and to pray as a community. Space for them in the very following verses to figure out who was going to replace Judas Iscariot at the table. Space for them to process all that they had seen, all that they had experienced, and space for them to prepare for the road ahead. Space for them to just stop all the busyness and be in a relationship with one another and with the God that they all serve. See, Jesus gave the gift of liminal space to his disciples so that they could get their bearings straight, right? So that they could realign and work through all of these shattered expectations that they had about what the world would look like after Jesus had completed his mission here on earth. Jesus gave them space to reassess their own place in this world. Jesus gave them space to feel the tension between where they were and where they were going. And I think that there is great value and comfort in this detail of the story that we often forget, right? We're, we're very quick to remember the story of Easter and the resurrection of Jesus because that's awesome and that's so cool and that's such good news. And then 
We're quick to celebrate the power and the majesty of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and the disciples are given all of this incredible power to perform miraculous acts and go out and actually do the work of building the church. But right here, in this little space, ten days actually, between Jesus ascending into heaven and the Holy Spirit descending to earth, the disciples are just left with one another. Jesus is gone. The Spirit has not yet come. There they are. What a gift. You might think, that sounds like a curse. But I'll tell you it's a gift, and I'll tell you it's a gift for this reason. Because how true is this for most of our lives, most of the time? We just sit in these spaces between where we were and where we're going, trying to figure out what it all means and where we are supposed to go next. You know, my little family just came out of uh, a liminal space, a, a huge liminal space, a 40-week-long liminal space that started like two weeks after we moved to Fort Pierce and ended on Easter Sunday, where we went from being a family of three to being a family of four. But we weren't quite a family of four for 40 weeks, but we knew that it was coming. We could see that it was happening. But we didn't quite live into the realization of what it was going to be like to be a family of four. Because when we became a family of four, we also stopped sleeping. And so now that we're a family of four, we're in this space where we're waiting for my man right there to sleep through the night. We know it's going to happen, but we ain't there yet. But this is something that happens to all of us. We find ourselves in these spaces where we're not where we were and we're not where we want to be, where we think we should be, or where we darn well know we're called to be. And life just leaves us thinking to ourselves like, something has to happen here to make this happen faster, right? What can I do to move this along? What am I supposed to do with my hands right now? Because I'm stuck in New Jersey. And I'm, I'm stuck in Jerusalem with the disciples. See, our, our lives are so future and goal-oriented that, that when there is nothing that we can do to force things along, when there's nothing that we can do to push the inevitable along any faster, we lose our minds, right? Because we've been led to believe that times like that are a waste, that no productivity happens in the space between. It's just where we lose momentum, where we get passed by, where we fail. But what if liminal spaces like that are actually God's prescription for our hurried lives? What if they're God's remedy? For our one-sided, winner-takes-all, self-made, goal-oriented, if you ain't first, you're last way of viewing life. What if those spaces are where real 
meaningful work gets done. My grandmother, the one who lived in upstate New York, in Saratoga Springs, uh, she loved to bake. And I've always been kind of like a weird person where I'm not really into desserts that much. Like, I'd much rather just eat more mashed potatoes, you know? But I do like a few desserts, and one that I particularly like is blackberry pie. And I like blackberry pie because my grandmother used to make the best blackberry pie. And every summer, I'd go on one of those long trips traversing the length of New Jersey up to her house and stay there for about two weeks. And a few days out of those two weeks that I would spend there, she'd just corral me into her car. And we would drive up these winding mountain roads into the Adirondacks. And then out of nowhere, she'd just pull the car off to the side of the road. We'd get out and we'd go traipsing into the woods, passing a copious number of no trespassing signs on our way in. I'm 100% sure that that's where I learned what the word trespassing meant because I asked. But once we had broken the law, we'd get in there and we would find and pick blackberries, wild growing blackberries for hours and hours and try to bring home at least as many as I ate on the way in and out, right? But in that time, we would just talk. It was always the season of Wimbledon, and so we'd talk about tennis matches that were coming up on TV that night. We'd talk about uh, crazy stuff that my dad did as a kid, which I always wanted to hear more of because he was such a very well-put-together and calculated man. I needed to hear about how he was like a kid and human, right? We talk about Harry Potter because for seven summers she bought me a new book. We talk about horse track racing, how she was going to buy me tickets, even though you had to be 18 to gamble in New York and I was only 13, more law-breaking. You see where I learned it from. We talk about her cousin, my Uncle Earl, and all this crazy stuff that they would do up in those very same mountains when they were kids. And the funny thing about all of that is that most of the time I didn't want to get in the car. I didn't want to go trespassing, breaking the law in order to just get blackberries. If we're going to break the law, I want to do something good, you know? But what I knew was that if I got in that car and I went into those mountains and I picked those blackberries, I was going to get to eat some blackberry pie. But the other funny thing is that I don't actually have any vivid memories of eating that pie at all. But I remember hiking through the woods. I remember her laugh. I remember her deep excitement when we found a good spot. I remember her telling everyone around the table about our adventures. See, picking berries for me was just that space between playing video games and eating pie. But it's the only thing that I actually remember. And I think that the disciples remembered these 10 days between when Jesus left and when they embarked on the, the world-changing mission of the church that formally began on Pentecost. They used their hands 
not to build or do anything other than to hold on to one another and to hold on to God in prayer. And you know, I think that if we're honest, we are in this space now, right? As a global community, we've been asking, you know, is it time? Are we there yet? Are we anywhere close to a peaceful resolution in Ukraine? When's the stock market going to, like, settle down? When are we going to gain a little bit more political stability and civility? And as a, as a global church, we sit in the pain of a season of disaffiliation, where our friends, our colleagues, and our loved ones are choosing to take a different future apart from the United Methodist Church. And I, for one, longingly await the day that it's all over. As a church, you experienced the time, the space between Reverend Tim Wilcox and this strange, young, tattooed pastor that got sent to you named Reverend Tim Barton. And now, we sit in this space between who we've been for 130 years and who we're going to become for the city of Fort Pierce. And as individuals, you're all in your own space between. You know, I don't, I don't know what that looks like for you right now, but I do know that time spent obsessing about where you want to be is time that you miss out on doing just what it is that God has called you to do right now. How have you been neglecting your family, your friends, your God? How have you been so busy trying to manufacture something to do with your hands that you've forgotten to hold on to those around you, to hold on to your church? Because the reality is this, that, that New Jersey, that, that Jerusalem, that trespassing in the Adirondack Mountains for blackberries, these are all places and spaces where God does some of his best work. Or he binds us together through the shared experience of just being and waiting and longing for the kingdom to be restored. And the blessing is that we know that deep down the kingdom will be restored because that kingdom has a king and that king is named Jesus, and Jesus is coming back. But in the space between, that's where we find the fuel that we need to truly ignite the fire that spreads our influence across this world. In the space between, we cling to what is important, and in the space between, we, we discover the power of sitting with God and sitting with one another as we prepare our hearts for the next season, for the new season, for the fulfillment of the promise. And so make good use of whatever space you find yourself in. And together, Let's transform our world. Let's pray.
God, we love you, and we thank you for all the spaces and places that you call us into. Spaces of, of great harvest, spaces of great pain, and the space between the two of them. The space where you just show us what it means to be loved and to love one another, where you remind us that we're not alone in this world, that you have called us to much greater and bigger things than we could ever imagine. So God, we invite you to help us in whatever space we're in. To rest in your grace, but also to prepare ourselves for the great day when you call us on to the next journey. When you call us to go, to be your witnesses in our homes, in our surrounding areas, and to all of this world. We love you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for who you've called us. We thank you for who you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' name.